welcome to Let's Talk Law, the Law Careers podcast for students at King's College London. I'm Caroline Lintner, one of the careers consultants for the Dixon Poon School of Law at King's, and today I'm joined by Emmeline Petika. Emmeline is an associate at internationally recognised law firm Constantin Cannon LLP, based in London. She graduated from King's with a degree in English law and French law, and also has an MSc in Art Law and Business from Christie's Education London. Emmeline specialises in art and cultural property law and commercial dispute resolution, and prior to joining Constantin Cannon, gained work experience in both London and Paris. Welcome, Emmeline. Thank you so much for joining me today on our podcast. It's lovely to have you on board. Hi, Caroline. Thank you for having me. So my first question is, is to really try and understand a little bit about your current role. What does an art and cultural property lawyer actually do? <laughs> um, so, as you mentioned, I have sort of both hats. Um, so I'm an associate currently working in art and cultural property law and commercial dispute resolution. Um, but when it comes to art and cultural property law, um, as I'm sure many will, will already know, it's a very niche area of law. It's industry focused. That is, as opposed to a corporate department, for example, that will deal with a um, number of industries, uh, we focus um, mainly on the art market. So there are only a few law firms specialising um, in this area of law around the world. Uh, they tend to be located in jurisdictions where the art market is the most vibrant. So, for example, New York, um, London, Paris. Um, uh, at Constantine Cannon, uh, we deal with uh, almost all the legal issues that um, participants in the art market face. Um, and we are one of the few firms around the world with a team of, of lawyers working full time um, on these types of cases. So it's it's absolutely fantastic to be to be part of this team. In terms of the work we do, um, we usually divide it in three different groups. Um, the first one is dispute resolution work. So it can involve anything from a dispute over the sale of an artwork, over its authenticity, an ownership dispute. Um, we also deal with um, spoliation claims. Um, so these could be brought by um, uh, people who have been uh, uh, spoliated during the Second World War or during the colonial era um, is very broad. The second category of work is transactional work. So it could be anything from, it's very a broad range of, of, of transactions. Um, it could be, uh, for example, uh, a loan agreement uh, for, so um, uh, relating to the loan of an artwork to a museum for an exhibition. Um, it could be an artist commission. Um, it could be uh, an agreement uh, to, to lend funds against art, um, it could be uh, the traditional sale and purchase. So again, it's a very wide range of things. And the third category of work is uh, regulatory work. So advising on, uh, again, a broad range of issues that participants in the art market may face. So that could involve um, import and export of artworks. Uh, Brexit has kept us um, uh, entertained um, the trade in endangered species, um, such as ivory, for example, mm. um, anti-money laundering, copyright. Um, so it's very, very broad um, and, and interesting. 
it, it really does sound incredibly interesting and I'm sure lots of people have just thought I had no idea that was all part of what a law firm does and what somebody can do as a lawyer. Um, just a follow-up question, it sounds as if you were your client base is quite broad then, so you're Am I right in thinking that you're representing not just private individuals, but also organisations? Absolutely. Um, we um, are very lucky to represent artists, auction houses, galleries, collectors, um, pr private companies as well. And um, the absolutely uh, amazing uh, feature of, of our practice is we also work on a broad range of artworks. It could be a medieval artefact, contemporary painting, uh, sculpture, uh, so many, many uh, fascinating things. Goodness me, that's, that's incredibly broad and as you say, <laughs> fascinating. Um, and I mentioned when I introduced you that you had spent some time um, d doing an MSc with Christie's Education. Um, but I'm really interested to know where your interest in art and property de uh, developed from, because am I right in assuming that if you're going to do this type of law, you really do have to have some sort of, you know, real interest in it? Indeed, yes. It's, I would say it's not mandatory, but it mm -hmm. definitely helps. Um, yeah, and yeah. it will certainly make your days, um, um, you know, better <laughs> um, if, you, if you enjoy bo both areas generally. Um, but that goes back to what you mentioned at the very beginning. I had no idea when I started uni that art law was a thing. Mm. Um, and but I always had a very strong interest for art. Um, but as I grew up, I didn't really see myself pursuing a career as an artist. Um, so after doing some research, I decided I wanted to become a lawyer. Um, and then and then started start to university at King's, as you mentioned. Um, but then when teachers started asking me what sort of area of law I'd like to specialize in, that's, I started becoming very seriously interested about um, uh, intellectual property. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, it's not that far from art law because one aspect of intellectual property is copyright. And this is, uh, this, it equips artists with a set of rights, artists amongst other, other people with a set of rights, um, which they can uh, use to protect their um, artistic creations. So it's not that far away from, from art law. Um, so I started becoming more and more interested in this um, area, so intellectual property, and I started attending events, gain, gaining legal experience, um, and then when I um, when I studied in Paris, which uh, was part of the uh, of the um, LLB in English law and French law, I studied at King's. There were two years in, at King's and followed by two years in Paris. So when I was in Paris, I chose one module in particular um, on intellectual property with a focus on artistic and literary work. Right. right. And that was really fascinating. Um, the teacher uh, was mentioning cases. Um, involving various artworks, and I was Googling the artworks as he was uh, releasing the names, carrying out extra research. Um, so, so this is really, uh, that's, that's how I sort of started to discover art law. And for me, it was an area of law that stood out from the others because I could relate to it. 
Um, so, for example, um, a case um, had involved uh, a, an artist that I had seen in a museum or a sculpture that I had seen exhibited in a, in, in a park somewhere. So this is something that I could somehow relate to. Um, and, and I, this is the area of law that I could relate to the most. So I thought, let's, let's keep going. It's interesting. Um, and it could really, really um, build the bridge between uh, the, the passion for art that I had as a kid to um, and build that bridge, bridge between th this passion and my willingness to become uh, to become a lawyer. Um, so then, when I uh, finished my undergrad studies, I thought art law is what I want to do, um, but I probably need a bit more experience in that field, um, and I'd quite like to broaden my horizon as well. So I came back to London. Um, after my studies in Paris and uh, started studying on the MSc in Art Law and Business at Christie's Education. Um, and that was a very insightful and unique experience. Um, we travelled internationally to visit art fairs. On, on top of the classes, we were, we were invited to auction sales, artist studios, collectors' houses, um, so that really, that, that was absolutely fascinating and gave me a, a, a unique understanding of how, how the art market works. And it was exactly what I was, what I was looking for when I finished uni, sort of broadening my horizon and discovering how the art market works. Um, after that course, I did an internship at my current firm, um, which really cemented my interest for the field. Um, then I trained and qualified at the firm and the rest is uh, history, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned there almost that, that that tangible link from your interest in art and the fact you, you've seen some of these works of art, or at least you could Google them and, and physically see what they were like or go and visit them. Um, not too dissimilar to what I've seen from other lawyers I've worked with over the years who may be aviation finance specialists, the fact that they can get on a plane, an aircraft and, and, and know the background to its history of its finance, for example. So that's really interesting, that tangible asset almost is what sort of drew you towards that area of law. So I guess the next question I have for you is, you know, what's been your career highlight to date? And I'm aware that you have a very long career ahead of you, I'm sure. But but so far, what's been what's been the standout moment for you, Emmeline? Um, there's, there's been a few, I'd say the sort of uh, general and 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 um, uh, obvious one was my qualification earlier this year, which was a very very happy day. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> um, um, uh, reaching that stage at long last um, uh, after the length of legal studies was was uh, absolutely uh, amazing. I, the career highlight I'd say that I that I'd probably um, like to tell you a bit more about is. Um, uh, I've, I've recently worked on a loan agreement um, which uh, related to um, an art installation to be exhibited in a public space um, by a British artist I um, admire very much. And I, um, so I assisted uh, with the drafting of that agreement and uh, a few well, very recently, I uh, went to visit the work 
as installed in its in its space um and it felt incredibly rewarding to know that i had somehow participated to to this exhibition and made this possible even you know if only at the legal stage but still um so that was very rewarding and a in a very happy moment again. <laughs> I can imagine, as you say, you saw you saw the outcome of the work that you were involved with. That that's that's so important. Um, so you mentioned uh, a, a little while ago that this is a niche area of law, um, and you know we talk to students a lot about doing their research. And some some parts of the legal sector are very easy to access; others less so. Uh, really interested to understand from you what advice you would give to someone who was interested in practicing one of those more niche areas um, of law that that we have. The first thing I would say is to make sure that you want to become a lawyer and this is probably more relevant to those who are interested in doing a conversion course. Mm -hmm. um, it can be uh, very interesting, for example, for art students who want to uh, uh, convert uh, their degree into a law degree um, because the connection with art law is very obvious uh, and that might help them um, build the bridge between between two passions. But I think it's very important to to make sure that law is the right fit for you. The legal studies are uh, long and challenging. Uh, they're very rewarding, but it's it's very demanding. Um, and one thing that I realized as well when I um, started working is that the legal studies are very different from practice. Mm. So uh, but by that, I mean that at university, you focus on studying the law, how to apply it, how to navigate the English legal framework. And then when you hop on the LPC, you are asked to think practically about a client's and, and factoring the, the client's interests. Then when you start training, you add another layer and start factoring in the firm's culture, culture, uh, values, objectives. Um, and later on, when you qualify, you, uh, you, you as, as far as private practice is concerned, I think you start becoming a bit of a salesperson and, and start thinking about bring, bringing clients in. So, and, and then later on, as you grow in your career, you might find yourself doing less groundwork and more management delegation. So I think it's important to anticipate that. And it's probably easier said than done <laughs> because back, you know, when I started uni, I'm not sure I thought about all of that. Um, but I think it's very, important first and foremost to think about whether you want to become a lawyer now to answer your question about uh, art law specifically um i think it's important to be proactive and investigate the market um it's a niche area as we've mentioned so there are very few junior positions opening for aspiring aspiring art lawyers and entering the field is very competitive so doing your research uh, would be another another tip. Um, and lastly, even if um, you know someone's first job isn't in an art law firm, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Up to very recently, um, 
art lawyers would have been practicing another area of law at first, um, you know, in the first part of their career. And then at some point, uh, a client came in with a case involving an artwork. And that's how they made that transition. Um, uh, or, or they would, you know, at some point in their career, just make that transition anyway, based on their own interests. But now, um, I think we see more and more young lawyers wanting to start their career uh, working in, in, in the art law field. So there's definitely been a shift. And I, and I think what this can tell us is that it used to be done in the past, you know, to start with another area of law. So if you don't find a position in the art law world straight away, you might find another position which will still, uh, you know, to the extent that that other position is connected to art law, for example, if you start with a role in a commercial department or intellectual property department or maybe doing some litigation work, then when you end up reaching, um, uh, entering the, the, uh, the art law field, you will be bringing that expertise, which is still very relevant to art law. But th this is just to say that it's a very competitive and, and, and their uh, market and there are very few places in the art law world. Um, but if, if you want to start by something else which is related, that won't necessarily be fatal to a career as an art lawyer, if that if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And I think it's really important that your, you know, that your, our listeners hear this and that they, you know, appreciate your honesty and candor on that. And it's something we focus on within careers at, at King's because we talk about your transferable skills and attributes and your experience. And what you're saying is therefore that, you know, that experience will be relevant. It's the subject matter uh, or the sector or the, you know, particular industry expertise that you need to develop and learn. Um, and that that's, that, that could be the case in, in other parts of the law as well as other other jobs. So I think that's really useful to know. I mean, you did talk about the fact you had gotten a uh, vacation scheme, internship, whatever we want to call it, at the firm that you've ended up working at. Is that essential, would you say? I mean, should people be applying for vacation schemes or, you know, how do they go about getting relevant work experience? So I, I didn't do a VAC scheme on my current firm, um, but, but train started started um, an internship and, right. then, and then trained. But I'd, I'd say it, would dep it depends on the firm. Um, I imagine that for boutique law firms like Constantine Cannon, a vacation scheme may not be that essential, mm -hmm. um, but it might be more important for bigger firms, I yeah. suspect. I guess that it might be an idea um, for, for anyone who's wondering about a vacation scheme to reach out to the recruitment department in, in the firms they're targeting and ask whether they would value a vacation scheme or uh, outside, you know, from probably other, other VAC schemes um, or, or, you know, experience outside of the legal sector. Um, I, I suspect that might be helpful. I, I know you worked, I think, in a in a recruitment um, uh, in the HR department and the law firm. Do you think that would be that would be a sensible approach? Yes, I, yes, I did. That's right. Uh, for many years, um, and I think you're right that for many law firms, the opportunities are there. But those firms where it's perhaps not so apparent, or they don't have a vacation scheme, therefore they don't want to recruit people like me, or they're not going to take on trainees. Uh, I'm not sure that's always 
necessarily the answer. It's more about I encourage students and my colleagues do as well to, to reach out and ask those questions. Um, you know, uh, do you take people in at the entry level or should I go off and do something else and then come to you later on? Or how should you how do you recommend me building up my work experience to to be a credible candidate for you either as a trainee or do you have internships? So I think it's it's not been afraid to approach the employers um, and ask those questions. And I mean, was your internship just something that you came across, or was it something that you you heard about? Or I mean, how did you get that internship? Because I'm sure lots of our listeners will be interested to know. <laughs> Don't worry, they're not all going to start applying to your firm. But it's good to good to have some tips, I think, to share. It's fine. Always happy to uh, always happy to um, um, hear about a new candidates. So I, I reached out to the firm right, um, right. very very simply. Um, and that, and and then went through the the recruitment process. And doing a VAXKI might be an idea for students to figure out whether working in a major uh, city law firm or a more boutique practice is for them. Um, so yeah, all experience is good experience, right? When it comes to building up your career and your your career journey and and your CV etc and that's something that I think um, people want to hear so let's talk about um, you know you've qualified as a lawyer as you said earlier on and many congratulations on that what would you say is the most important skill you've had to develop since since qualifying since getting that sort of practical day-to-day experience I would say commercial awareness right um it's a skill that everyone was was talking about when I was at uni and, and everyone was talking about how essential it was. But um, at the time, I didn't really fully understand what it entailed. Um, and I think it's one of these skills that until you get the, re- the relevant commercial legal experience, you don't fully grasp um, what, what it means. At least that's that's that was my experience. Um, I, I started to grasp its meaning when I um, studied on the master's degree at Christie Education um, because it encouraged me to look at things from a commercial perspective um, and put myself in a business owner's shoes. Um, I think I think it's such an important skills because providing legal advice that takes all the, the boxes from a legal perspective is is one thing. It is it's essential. But it's going to matter even more to one's client if your advice is tailored to that client's needs and objectives. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, as you say, it's something that we people talk about a lot, and uh, I think when I was encouraged students, even when they're doing a part-time job working for a you know a local shop or something, they think actually, how is this relevant? Well, actually, you're working for a business, so it's putting yourself in the shoes of that business owner or that sector you're working within. And trying to think about it from, um, you know, maybe how your role is actually contributing to the success of that business as well. So uh, I think that's a really important thing that we encourage people to, to develop. Um, so let's let's go back to your time at King's, because um, I, I, I said earlier on that, you know, enjoyed your time in London and Paris and, and what's not to enjoy in two fantastic cities. But what did you do outside of your studies, Emmeline, when you were when you were studying? What, what did you do? Uh, to kind of, I guess, enhance your student experience. Um, well, there, there was there was loads to do, and then there is loads to do, um, yes. especially in London. <laughs> um, I remember when I first arrived at uh, arrived at King's, it was a big big jump for me. Um, I had not only moved out of my parents' 
house for the first time. Um, I was 18 years old. I had also moved to a completely different country. Um, I, I lived in France, um, uh, my, my home country up to then. Um, so when I arrived in London, I made it an objective to discover as much of London in the UK as possible. I remember that I had kept one of these, uh, you know, one of these tourist books. Yes. A previous trip to London. And um, I was crossing things off um, of the list as I was visiting it um, with, with friends. And, um, and yes, I basically was a tourist for, for two years straight. Um, but I also remember um, the fantastic network of um, student societies. Uh, so I remember attending a few events from the Baking Society. Right. Um, I'm very much guilty of having a sweet tooth and um, that was a lot of fun. Um, more relevant sort of the professional sphere. Uh, and again, that's one of the fantastic opportunities that were given at King's. Um, uh, and I'm sure are still are still given. Um, so I volunteered for a charity called Into University. Right. Um, so it consisted in helping young people from disadvantaged backgrounds to learn about legal studies and helping them realize that higher education was well within their reach. So they would come in uh, on campus for a day and would show them around, um, answer a few questions. Um, so that was that was really, uh, really interesting as well. I, I love the idea that you were a tourist for two years and uh, we're ticking things off. That's fantastic. Um, and you may have answered this already, but what's your overriding memory from your time at King's? So you had four years um, connected to the university, at least those four years. So what's your overriding memory? There's there's loads there's loads of great memories. So it's it's difficult to pick one, but um, I guess one that sort of springs to mind is the very first lecture. Right. The the very first first day um, of of the term, um, and I remember we uh, were in a huge lecture theater on Waterloo campus. Uh, it was packed. Uh, really, really, it was. I was really really impressed. Um, so we were introduced to the teachers. We were given some specifics about the programs. Um, it was so it it was very intimidating. Um, but also very exciting. Um, and I really love that memory because when I reflect on the journey since that very, very first day at university, um, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud. So um, it's it remains a very happy memory for me. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about, uh, again, back to your sort of, your, the profession that you are a member of, which is the legal profession. There are lots of myths that um, fly around about lawyers and barristers and uh, the realities of being in a law firm. Um, what what myth or myths do you wish to debunk for our for our listeners about the legal profession? I guess when I when I first um, uh, was starting to think about becoming a lawyer, and um, I was talking to people around me, and they were saying oh, you'll need to have a very good memory. You'll need to be able to memorize mm. all the legislation, um, which, which was incredibly scary, just, just said like that. Um, but I've, I've come to realize that it's key to know one's way around the legislation, of course, but I think it's how you apply the law, which is even more important. And 
going back to commercial awareness, um, I think it's how you apply the law, the law to your client's situation, um, what practical solutions you identify for your client. And I think that's even more even more important than than having good memory. Yeah, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. That's a great myth that um, people will be use, interested to hear about, I think. Um, and then our time is coming to an end. I can't believe it's gone so quickly. But uh, um, tell us what the best piece of advice you've been given, which has really helped you professionally, Emmeline. I think it's a, it's a bit of a cliche, um, but the most important piece of advice I was given is be proactive. Um, it helped me tremendously during my studies and it's still, it is still something which is guiding me every day. Um, because in most situations, um, opportunities won't fall off from the sky. Um, so I think, I think you have to create these opportunities that's the great, great way to end our conversation and great piece of advice. Um, but before I let you go, Emmeline, I want to remind our listeners that we will be back soon with a new edition of Let's Talk Law, where we'll gain some more insights into Life Beyond Kings from, from another one of our graduates. But in the meantime, and on behalf of our listeners, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been so interesting hearing about your work um, and your, you know, reflecting on your time at Kings and the advice that you've given to our listeners, I'm sure will be very well received. So thank you very much for your time today and for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you again. <laughs>